Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brendan will be teaching out of the book of Matthew. Okay, uh, let's look to his word here this morning. As I mentioned, we're going to pick back up in Matthew 11 in a few verses that we considered last week. Uh, let's go ahead and read those together here as we begin. Matthew 11:28 through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. Let's pray once again. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, as we look to it now, we pray by your spirit, give us understanding, Lord. Help us to apply it to our lives. Help us to receive what you have for us here this morning, that we leave this place transformed, Lord, uh, having drawn closer to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so as we return to these few verses here this morning, I wanted to revisit this because this is an incredible encouragement to us in Scripture, as I mentioned last week, but I also think it really serves to set the foundation for what we see as we get into chapter 12. Many people, as they look at chapter 12, they see much instruction on the practice of Sabbath. Uh, As we'll consider through the uh, first half of the chapter, we're going to find that Jesus is really dealing with the Pharisees, and he's dealing with um, legalism as it pertains to the keeping of the Sabbath. And what we'll find here is that what Jesus really seeks to instruct them on is that the Sabbath is not what they really think that it is about. And in their legalism, they're missing the point of the Sabbath. But I think for us this morning, and I want to make sure I make mention of this at the beginning, I think it's also easy for us, even as we study this scripture, that we would take it really as instruction for Sabbath. That, you know, man, uh, that Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. That as believers coming to church on Sunday, we know that there's not necessarily all these things that we're uh, required to do based off of the law, but that this is an opportunity for us to, to, to come together and to study the Word. And, and, that, and all that is true. There is instruction here in Matthew 12 on uh, just a, a basic understanding of what the Sabbath is all about. But it's much more than that. And that's my desire for us this morning, is that we would see more about what Jesus is trying to communicate to the Pharisees, especially here in these verses, in that it's about... The Sabbath isn't about whether it's a, a, a day without legal, legalism that's, that's for you, Christian, to be encouraged and to rest, uh, that it's really about Jesus, and it's about our pursuit of Jesus. You know, as I, as I quite frankly, sort of wrestled through this passage this week, for, for no particular reason other than sometimes you're studying a text and studying a text, and you just find yourself going, Lord, I, I don't know exactly what it is you want me to share in this chapter this week. Lord, what is it that, what's the message that you have for us? What I found myself kind of coming back to is, even for his church today, that really, for many people, many of you probably, who come to Calvary Chapel, you wouldn't necessarily define yourself as a legalistic person, or you may not hold a view of the Sabbath that's incredibly legalistic, but the fact is this legalism sneaks in so easily. Religion sneaks in so easily to our lives that sometimes we, can't, we don't even recognize that it's there. 
And when that happens, what, what, what ends up happening oftentimes is our, in our lives is that we begin to miss the opportunities to really just have intimacy with Jesus, to spend time with him and to really pursue him. And I believe that that's what Jesus is communicating in these passages here is he wants the Pharisees to see you're, you're missing the point. And the point isn't a Sabbath without law, but a Sabbath is spent with Jesus, is spent with me. And for us this morning, that's really what I want us to understand. You know, as, as, I, as I continue to, uh, to myself get older and spend more time in ministry, there's a couple of things in particular that I really learned, that I've learned to appreciate. One is I've, I've developed a greater appreciation for and I rest much more often in God's sovereignty. Uh, and the fact that we serve a God who's seated on the throne, who is good, who is above all things, who is wise. Um, and the other is just the importance of getting to know Jesus more and more. I think we really tend to complicate things. And oftentimes what it is, then we'll consider this here this morning, that God desires of us is just to know him more, to spend time with him. And we often can say that we have a relationship with someone, but no different than an earthly relationship. If I were to say to one of you who I really don't know that well, that you and I, we're best friends. And if we haven't really talked, if we haven't really spent any time together, if we don't help each other out, if we don't, if we don't go on trips together, if we, don't, if we don't do really anything together, you might question, are we really best friends? And you see, it, it makes sense that when we say that, that, that we know Jesus and love Jesus and, and that he is, in fact, um, the, the greatest news in our life, as we've considered in our evangelism study over the last few weeks, if, if we want to say all of those things, well, then we need to be developing a relationship with him, really pursuing him, stepping beyond the routine of religion and into a, a, just a pursuit of who he is. And so this passage here that we've just considered, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, what we have here, and it's important to understand this, is this isn't an escape for us. Now, we, we dealt with some of this last week, and, and I want us to, again, because this is foundational, I think, to the rest of the text here that we're going to consider in chapter 12. This isn't an escape. A lot of times we can look at this and we can say, yes, I want rest. I'm tired. I, I'm frustrated. I'm feeling burnt out. I'm feeling overwhelmed. So much of life and so, many, so much of all these activities is just really begin to, beginning to overtake me. And we can look at this and we can read this and even in this we can kind of miss the fact that Jesus is inviting us unto himself and we can become instead sort of focused on this idea of rest because that's what our hearts are longing for. I just want, I want rest, I want peace. And this is not an invitation for us to escape. Oftentimes, we are a people who think that a vacation is going to fix something when we're feeling, these, when we're feeling this way, when we're feeling overwhelmed, tired, frustrated. The, a vacation will fix it, or a retreat, or a long weekend, or just getting away. And I want to tell you this morning that, that what Jesus is talking about here, no vacation, no getaway, no long weekend, none of that is going to fix it. I'm not suggesting to you that uh, a long weekend or a time of rest or a little getaway, a day off is a bad thing. Not at all. But far too often, I think our hope is in that, a quick retreat that we think is going to solve the way that we're feeling. And in fact, Jesus is saying, you're missing the point. If we're hoping in those things to fix a problem in our lives, no amount of rest is really going to help us to recover. 
As we considered the wisdom of the psalmist David last week, we looked to Psalm 46.10. And in that psalm, which is a wonderful psalm, in verse 10 we read, Be still and know that I am God. Well, the, the best translation of that, the most literal translation of be still in particular, is cease striving. Cease striving. It means that you need to stop working with great labor and intensity to accomplish a particular goal or objective. And I think that fits well with what Jesus is calling us to here as he gives us an invitation to come to him. Now, I had a wonderful conversation in between first and second service uh, about this very thing because we do see evidence in scripture elsewhere where we're almost encouraged to strive, but as it pertains to our pursuit of Jesus, as it pertains to knowing Him, as it relates to salvation. And so what gives there? What's the difference? Well, for David here, this was really about him trying to solve a multitude of different problems in his own power, in his own flesh, in his own strength. And for us, it's often about us striving to uh, develop uh, an identity uh, that we think we're supposed to have or to, uh, like David, fix a problem in our lives, to do all these different things in and of our own strength. Even as it relates to our relationship with Christ, we can begin to convince ourselves, and this is what we'll see in chapter 12, that there's certain activity that we need to engage in in order to really be the good Christian that we're supposed to be. And in every one of those situations, if we're doing that in our flesh, if we're doing that in our own effort, then that really is striving after something that we're going to struggle to achieve. Life itself is a hard thing. Life this side of heaven is oftentimes a series of unending burdens that come at us in different waves. And it's okay for us. I don't know that it's negative for us to say that because we're recognizing that in a fallen world, there's difficulty in life. And that should cause us to look forward to life in eternity when much of those things are addressed, when all of those things are addressed. And so life this side of heaven is a difficult thing. There's burdens, and and we are faced with different challenges, but it's not about escaping those things, but rather embracing those things and doing so with the help of Jesus. The invitation from Jesus, as I've said, is not an escape from life. And for each of us, there are easier seasons, and then there's more difficult seasons. That's just the way that it is. Life is hard, but God is good, and what he offers us here in these verses, if we understand them rightly, is an invitation to come and do life with him. In our difficulties that we think more time away will fix, Jesus says, don't don't try and leave the field. Don't try and leave the work. He says, no, continue in it. Remain in the work. Remain in the field, if you will, but take my yoke upon you and do it with me. Let me help you in this. He says, take my yoke upon you and then you will experience rest. Jesus here speaks to those who are striving, who are loaded down with burdens. Specifically in this context, he was dealing with those who were struggling with the burden of the Pharisees. And so in this, in this context here, he knew that these people, these Jewish people, were dealing with the burden that had been put upon them by the Pharisees. Later on in Matthew, in chapter 23, verse 4, Jesus will say of the Pharisees that you bind heavy burdens that are hard to bear and you lay them on men's shoulders. 
Now, we've considered the fault of the Pharisees throughout our study of Matthew, uh, early on especially in the first few chapters. And the fault of the Pharisees was really legalism. They added to Scripture. They added to the law of Moses things that were not there. Now, the Sadducees, on the other hand, were more liberal. They sought to explain things away from Scripture. They subtracted from Scripture. They kept a loose view, and they were more politically motivated. But the Pharisees, they were legalists. They took something that was good in Scripture oftentimes and said, well, if this is good if God is commanding us to do this well then let's do it even more let's let's add to it and that must be even better more is better right and so uh, here's the Pharisees then uh, adding to God's law and expecting things of people that God never did the law of Moses for example said that you could not travel on Sabbath but that's really all that it said And instead of accepting that as good instruction for a Sabbath day, which would really be about, hey, don't go on a trip on the Sabbath. Don't spend your time traveling. Instead, go to the synagogue. Study the scriptures. Have fellowship. Spend time in prayer. Seek me. Well, they couldn't just accept that that was the basic instruction and that it was good. No, they needed to define, well, what does it actually mean to travel? What does it mean to travel? And so they came up and, and determined uh, the, the fact that, well, travel must be that you can't go more than 3,000 feet from your home. So we're talking about a little less than a mile. Right? You can't go any further than that from your home. That's what, the, that, that's what they determined Scripture meant by travel. But of course, there were times when this might be a little bit difficult, especially if they needed food and were invited for a meal. And so if they were going for food, then that food was considered part of their home, basically. And I know that sounds kind of funny. And so they could then go to the food in another 3,000 feet beyond where the food was located. And you can see how quickly then you can start to make these things up and become very legalistic, establishing laws for how you're to function. Or how about if they said you're not to carry any sort of load on the Sabbath? Well, what exactly is a load? Instead of just accepting that to say, hey, don't do a bunch of heavy manual labor on the Sabbath. Instead, rest and spend time with the Lord. It becomes, well, we need to define exactly what a load is. Is it a load of laundry? Is it too heavy of a coat for me to wear? Maybe I need to get dressed a particular way so that I don't have to carry the coat or put the coat on and off, which might become work. If you go to Israel today, and if you're in Jerusalem today, you're still going to see aspects of Orthodox Judaism on display, like things, uh, for example, like the Shabbat elevator, the Sabbath, the use of the elevator on Sabbath, where, of course, for us, we wouldn't think anything of getting on an elevator and pressing the button for the floor that we were going to, but that would be determined as work on Sabbath. And so if you get on the Shabbat elevator on Sabbath, watch out, because you're going to stop at every floor. And the door's going to open, and then you'll go to the next floor, and the next floor, and the next floor, so that you don't have to worry about pressing a button. You can just get on and get off. These types of things sound kind of crazy to us, and praise God that we have not put things upon ourselves like this that then weigh us down and burden us. But in some way, I I would suggest that we do, even when we don't realize it. You see, the people here were heavy laden. They were weary. They were laboring for a relationship with God. And so I wonder, for us, in what way are you or are we the same today in terms of laboring for a relationship with God? Doing the things that we believe we're supposed to do in order to draw closer to Him. Because, you know, it's in our nature to be legalistic. It really is. We encounter something that maybe is a little ambiguous, and what do we need to do? We need to define it. We need to figure it out. We need to explain it. We need to have an opinion on it. 
Not a lot of people are comfortable in the gray. Some, some are. Some, some people are able to function very comfortable in that gray area where it's sort of loosely defined, and other people find it incredibly uncomfortable. And it's the same principle that informs the fact that not a lot of people also are comfortable with grace and with mercy. It doesn't make sense, right? That, 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 a God, that the God of the universe would be gracious towards us and merciful towards us, and so we do different things to try and figure out why and how and, and how do we really earn it? I know that Scripture says we don't need to earn it, but we must have to earn a heavenly inheritance. What do we do instead? And so Jesus says, come. You're weary. You're worn out. Come and, and learn from me and find rest. And so we draw near to Him. And as we draw near to Him, we begin then to understand His mercy and to understand His grace more and His love, and it starts to change then our perspective. And we find rest, hopefully, we find rest that we didn't know we could have as we take His yoke upon us. And as we do that, that's where we find Jesus. As we draw near to Him, He draws near to us. And we learn that it's really about Him. It's about knowing Him more and trusting Him more. And as we get into chapter 12, I think this is really what we're supposed to see here. In chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and His disciples were hungry. And he began, they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to Him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And so you see, this is a great example of how the people were loaded down with rules and interpretations of law that were burdensome. And the law allowed for these men to pick from the field. Farmers were encouraged to leave parts of their crop along the roads available for people, for travelers to take from. But it was plucking this grain and, and harvesting it, if you will, that was the violation of the Sabbath. That They were working here and the Pharisees believed that it should not be done. But Jesus in verse 3 confronts us and he says to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the showbread which was not lawful for him to eat? Nor for those who were with him but only for the priests? You see, Jesus' question here was likely, quite frankly, to be pretty insulting to the Pharisees. They were the most learned of men, the ones who knew the law. But Jesus says to them, have you not read? I mean, this is kind of funny here. This shows that Jesus has a little bit of a sense of humor. I mean, imagine for some of you who are, uh, you are trained in your particular craft and somebody comes to you and tries to start telling you how it's to be done or asks you, well, haven't you read this or done this? It's like when some of you go to the doctor's office, right? And you've already diagnosed everything before you've gotten there. Haven't you read on WebMD that this is what it is? And the doctor's like, oh, goodness. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that. I did go to med school, all right? And, and, and so this is the, the Pharisees here are thinking, yes, we've read this. Yes. But what Jesus knows is, yeah, you've read it, but you don't get it. You're missing the point. You're blinded by your religion and your pride. What Jesus references here, of course, is 1 Samuel chapter 21. And this is the account where David and his men were fleeing and they were hungry. They were starving. And so they came to the temple and uh, there was a conversation there with the priest. And they essentially said, listen, if the only food you have in there is the showbread, we'll go ahead and eat it. David recognizing here that may be designated for the, the temple practices, but we're hungry and we're in need. And fact is, scripture, never, scripture doesn't necessarily condone it but it also doesn't condemn it. 
And so we're led to believe that God was absolutely fine with what David did there because, again, God cares more for his creation. He cares more for his people who are made in his image than he does for the ritual practices of the temple. And we're going to see Jesus reinforce that. He says to them also in verse 5, or have you not read, so here it is again, have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? What Jesus is saying to them here is the very fact that the priests are working in the temple on Sabbath is technically a violation of the law, but they overlook it. Well, why do they overlook it? Because in essence, it's, it's ministry. It's serving a bigger purpose, a greater purpose than the law. And so Jesus, in sort of this same vein of thinking here, says, yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. And he's, of course, referring to himself. It's been said of someone who misses the big picture that they can't see the forest for the trees. You've heard that before. And here Jesus declares to these Pharisees, you're worried about my disciples picking a few heads of grain to eat as a way really to catch him that's what they were trying to do they were always out to catch him but he says to them you're missing the fact that the son of god is right here in front of you he says that there is one greater than the temple what was the purpose of the temple it was a structure designed for the priests to engage in the work of making atonement for the sin of the people and connecting with god even still in jerusalem people go to the wailing wall because they believe that that's the closest spot to where the temple once stood where in where in the temple was the holy of holies in the presence of god for people the temple was about drawing near to god about knowing him more there was an effort to do ultimately what pleased God but they were coming about it the wrong way and in their religion and in their legalism and in their striving they were missing the fact that the very presence of God was right there for them right in front of them you remember uh, in the Old Testament in, in Genesis in chapter 28 this is where Jacob Jacob had stolen the birthright from Esau he had received the blessing from his father and like a, 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 a normal angry brother Esau goes after Jacob and Jacob evades him and he, he escapes from him and he comes to Bethel and there in Bethel Jacob sleeps that night and he has a vision in his dream and it's a it's a pretty wild vision of angels going up and down on this ladder but ultimately what God communicates to Jacob is I'm going to bless you and when Jacob awakes from his sleep he has this awareness that that was more than that was more than just a weird dream right I didn't just eat something funny before I went to sleep there was man God was there And he has this sense then, and he declares it out loud. He says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Guys, so often we are so busy doing what we think we're supposed to do that we miss the opportunity to really be in the presence of Jesus. So often we are so distracted by life that we, we come and we sit, even in this place, even some of you perhaps this morning, you, you come into the sanctuary, you come to church and you sit in this place because sometimes you, you just have a sense of, well, I know that's what I'm supposed to do. And, and, and sometimes too, it's even a matter of, I, I don't really feel like it today, but, but it's good that you're saying, but I know I need to go. I know I need to pursue the Lord. I know I need to be there. But in all of those different circumstances, sometimes we can come and we can go through the motions and we really miss the opportunity to just have time with Jesus. Sometimes we get so focused on on waiting for a trial to pass. I mean, how many of you would say just, I'm ready for 2020 to be over, right? Some of you just weren't being honest when you didn't put up your hand. I mean, I can only imagine what New Year's Eve 2020 is going to be like, right? 
I mean, you imagine the, and I guess you can't go to Times Square. I mean, that'll be, that'll be closed. Times Square will be closed. But there's going to be people all over the place just, just even, even symbolically just saying, yes, 2020 is gone, right? And I can't say that I'm entirely different in terms of, man, there's just, it's been a weird year, right? But sometimes even that, right, we're so focused on waiting for a trial to pass that we miss what God wanted to do with us in the midst of the trial. And Jesus is declaring to these Pharisees and and, and by extension through Scripture here to us as well, you're missing it. He says to them in verse 7, but if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So not only did he say to them twice before, haven't you read and and haven't you read, but now he basically says, and I know you read this, but you you didn't get it. You missed the point because what Jesus does here is he quotes from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. And it's here that the prophet, the, the very prophet who, by the way, was called to really demonstrate love and mercy, unconditional love. In this verse, what Hosea really communicates here is he says, err on the side of mercy, err on the side of love and of grace. I mean, what, what is mercy? It's not getting what we do deserve, right? So as Christians, we're deserving of death, but God in His mercy saw fit to send His Son to die for us. That even while we were yet sinners, He loved us. And He goes above and beyond that, which is grace, unmerited favor, to say, and I'm going to give you an inheritance that's beyond what you can even imagine. And and, in the latter part of verse 6 here of Hosea 6, He says that I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. The knowledge of God. And recall what I said there at the beginning, the the importance of knowing Him more. That that's what it's about. It's not about our religious practices and, and these things that we've convinced ourselves of that are really important. It's about loving people. It's about showing mercy. It's about, it's, it's about uh, coming to a place where you have a greater understanding of who He is and allowing that to inform how you treat other people, how you go about day-to-day loving other people. And so listen, whatever activity you may be involved in, and these, are the, these activities in and of themselves are, are not necessarily good or bad, but listen to me, whatever you're, in, you're involved in, if it's ministry-related, it's things here at the church, it's stuff that you've convinced yourself you need to do, if it's coming to church and you're here just because it's what you do, it's what you're supposed to do. I had an interaction w- with an individual earlier this week and it was a good conversation with him and learned a little bit about him and was able to encourage him, I hope, a little bit and in terms of uh, maybe a search for a different church and uh, and again, just kind of the craziness of the year we're in. But but one of the things that really came up in the course of that conversation was just that the church he was a part of was he was there because he'd gone there his whole life and his mom had gone there her whole life and his grandmother and grandmother's grandmother mother and it was a typical conversation that I have with somebody quite frankly in the south that it's just it's just this is what we do but for those of you that are here today and you're a little bit younger the kids in the room the young adults in the room why are you here fact is for me for many many years it was because well that's what I have to do that's what my parents tell me I have to do because it's understood we're going to church today and it wasn't until I began to know more about God. I began to, through, through trials and different circumstances in my life, come to a place where I began to shed religion and shed legalism and develop a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it begins to shift from I have to go to church to I get to go to church. 
And if you're here and you're, and you're serving in different areas and maybe you're doing children's ministry or you're in, in sound or you're greeting and, and you're involved in setup at the beginning of the service, I'm not saying don't do these things. But if it's just a religious routine, if you're just doing it because you have to do it, if you're not using it as a way to draw closer to the Lord and to learn from Him and to know Him more, then it just becomes a burnt offering, a sacrifice that God does not desire. And I think some people might say, well, well, you know what? Sometimes aren't you just supposed to serve? Aren't you just supposed to do it because it needs to be done? Well, yeah, I understand that sometimes we step in just because it needs to be done. But the fact is, Scripture compels us in Colossians 3.23 that in everything that we do, do it as unto the Lord, not unto man. And so, yes, if you're doing it because, oh, I just got to fill a gap, well, be careful because legalism is going to start to creep in. Religious routine is going to start to creep in. And instead, we need to, yes, sometimes figure out, okay, how do, I, how, how do I approach this differently? And so if it's working with the kids or if it's making coffee or if it's opening the door, we can absolutely do it with a sense of, I get to do this. God has invited me into ministry. God has given me the opportunity to serve Him. That if you're helping to push the coffee cart out under the, at the front and get the cups, that you can say, I'm doing this for the Lord. And praise God that He's given me breath in my lungs today and the opportunity to serve a body that I love. And you can pray through that and you can pray over that and you can pray, man, Lord, I pray that everybody who comes to the coffee station today is just blessed, that they're encouraged, that they're grateful that it's here and available to them. I mean, that may sound silly, but what's wrong with approaching every aspect of life with a sense of appreciation and joy and thanksgiving and going, Lord, as I'm doing this, I pray that you'd give me opportunities to minister to other people. That, Lord, you'd show yourself faithful through these opportunities. That I'd learn more about you. Or, Lord, as I'm serving in a difficult area. Lord, I didn't really, if I'm honest, I didn't want to do this. But I know it, there's a need here and I want to do it with the right heart. And so, Lord, would you teach me through this process? Lord, I need your yoke upon me right now to make this easier. Because I'm struggling through it, Lord. So teach me and grow me and show me. And here, again, Jesus declares that he is Lord of the Sabbath, which really must have incited them even more. And I think we need to understand here that Jesus is not, Jesus is not trying to just flip everything about Sabbath upside down. He's not suggesting that, that Sabbath isn't important. It's quite the opposite. Jesus understands how important Sabbath is. But he's saying to the Pharisees here, you're missing the, you're missing the entire point of it. And friends, I think that we often miss the point of it as well. For far too many, the Sabbath has become, I go to church and then I get to do everything else that I want to do that day and praise God that the Sabbath is for man and I get to just rest and uh, recreate and watch football or do whatever today. And, and I'm not suggesting to you that there isn't an aspect of that that's true, that on a Sunday afternoon it's a wonderful thing to be able to just take a break and rest. I'm not trying to form, to, to create some form of legalism when I'm trying to preach against the very thing, but... What Jesus is saying here about the wrong perspectives on Sabbath is that, hey, it's about me. It's about Jesus. He's trying to turn their attention back to Him. And so I would ask of us and of myself, do we view this day as an opportunity to seek Him without distraction? Do we view this day as truly a day of rest, but one that's designed to say, let me put aside all the other distractions. Let me put aside all the other things I've been doing this week. Let me take an opportunity to rest and to just stop, but in order to be before Him and to seek Him and to know Him more. 
to rid ourselves of anything that may be preventing us from being able to just hear him and to say, Jesus, here I am. I want to know you more. I want to know your heart, Jesus. I want to learn from you. I want to grow in you. And I want you to be honest about where you're at because I think there are some of us sometimes who, who we'd say, no, I'm not a legalistic person. I'm not a, I'm certain, I don't have a pharisaical heart. I'm, it's not about religion. But the fact is, if you really evaluate it, there's more religion in your life than there is relationship. And that it's often, oftentimes, whether it's Sunday or any other day of the week, you do some of the things that you know you're supposed to do so that you can then do the things that you want to do. Right? And sometimes all of this stuff, church and everything else, becomes more the category of I'm supposed to do this. And then I can check that box and in the afternoon I get to go do this. And I can tell you for myself... There are times when it's a Saturday night and it's been a tough week and there's a lot of different things going on and even without thinking it, just it just comes out, right? There's this sense of, well, I, I have to do this and this because I have to teach in the morning. And man, I hate it when it comes out that way as opposed to I get to teach in the morning. I get to serve in the morning. I get to be with my church family in the morning. I get, right? It's, it's subtle. It's a nuance but it speaks volumes of where our hearts are at. And I want for each of us, myself included, to constantly be in that camp of, look what we get to do. Look what we get to be a part of. Some of you, you may be in a good place right now because the Lord has kind of brought you through a season, a season of dryness, a season of wilderness, where now you're beginning to feel life again and He's breathing new life into areas where you just felt like, man, Lord, I've just been going through the motions for a while. And I think we see an example of that here next. In verse 9 we read, Now when He had departed from there, He went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked Him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? so that they might accuse him. And what's interesting here as we pause briefly is that even though the Pharisees were absolutely missing who Jesus was, they were, abs- they were very much paying attention to what he would do. He was becoming very predictable at this point in terms of there's a guy who's going to need to be healed in there, and if he goes in, man, he's absolutely going to do it. And what a wonderful thing that Jesus' reputation preceded him that no matter where he went, he would go to broken people in need of healing. And let that be a lesson to us, a little nugget that we get to see here within, within the text to just say, man, look at how predictable Jesus was in terms of his ministry to those who needed him. Again, I think far too many read through Matthew 12 and they think it's just about the Sabbath and they miss that it's truly about Jesus. And for far too many of us still today, we think that Sunday is kind of about the Sabbath and not so much about a day I get to spend with Jesus, free from distraction. And then he said to them, verse 11, What man is there among you who has one sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And so here Jesus takes the opportunity to highlight their hypocrisy and that their own possessions in their eyes are worth more than a man who is made in the image of God. And in doing so here, Jesus further sets the record straight on the issue of the Sabbath, but again, it's so much more than that. And what we see here is Jesus and His mercy, His love that He demonstrates towards others. And so, of course, Jesus, moved by compassion, and perhaps even, yes, in an act of defiance here, proceeds to heal this man. And it's a wonderful principle that we see at work in this healing. As in verse 13 we read, Then He said to the man, Stretch out your hand, And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. 
And I would ask you this morning, could this man who, it says he had a withered hand, which means that he had, some might say it was a deformed hand, a crippled hand, it was uh, likely appeared broken, it was lifeless, it was useless. The point is, this man could not stretch out his hand, it was stuck in a position like this. Yet Jesus says to him, stretch out your hand. And so here what we see is is Jesus, instead of the laying on of hands or doing some of the different things that Jesus sometimes did to heal a person, here Jesus does not touch him at all. He just tells him what to do. And what I want us to understand this morning, Christian, is that I believe that Jesus wants us to see here that he never gives us a command that he has not also given us the ability to obey. And I wonder what is it that he's calling you to that maybe you think I can't do it? Maybe you think it's too hard or I've been struggling in this area for too long. Again, you've maybe been striving, you've been laboring, you've been struggling to do what you thought you were supposed to do in your flesh. But God's saying, no, this is what I want. Just be obedient in this. What is your withered hand? I don't think it's too much of a stretch to apply this picture to our lives today in really a number of different ways. And I think there are some here today or maybe watching online who are like this man That there's an area of your life that is dry, withered, and lifeless. That maybe legalism has crept into your life and has got you burdened and worn down to where you're just going through the motions and and you're missing the opportunity to have real time with Jesus and to know Him more. And you find yourself saying all of the, I should have done this, or I should have done that, or I need to go do this, or I need to go do that. And you can fill in the blanks on that. What are the things that you're telling yourself on a regular basis? Or, I I just need to get away. I need to escape this for a little while. I just need to check out for a moment. I just need to rest. And again, please understand, I am not suggesting that the Lord doesn't honor the opportunity just to go, hey, I'm checking out for a moment. But too often, again, we put our hope in that instead of saying, man, I need to run to Jesus. I need to rest in Jesus right now. Because oftentimes we've we, we sort of convinced ourselves that a, that a Netflix binge is what Jesus meant when he said the Sabbath was for man. Oh, praise the Lord. I can just do, all, I can do what I want today. Thank you. I love the idea of Sabbath. And, and Jesus is going, but hello, I want time with you. And then we miss then the opportunity to take his yoke upon us and really find true rest. A rest that, 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 is, that doesn't even make sense. And that's what scripture says when it's a peace which surpasses all understanding. It's like, this doesn't make sense, but I'm at peace. I'm trusting God. I know that everything's going to be okay. And maybe you know he's speaking to you, but you're thinking, man, my hand is withered. I can't stretch it out. I just can't do that. And so the very thing God is saying, do this, and I've equipped you to do this, and you just need to obey, and and then in the obedience, experience the blessing of it. You're missing the opportunity. Verse 14, Jesus says that, or it says, then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. And it's crazier because you know, the Pharisees and their hypocrisy here don't even recognize or at least admit that their hatred toward Jesus, that in their hatred toward Jesus, they're committing an even greater violation of the Sabbath. As they're conspiring together to murder a man in a violation of, of more than one uh, commandment. But when Jesus knew it, verse 15, he withdrew from there and great multitudes followed him and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. And I'll pause here for a moment. We see that Jesus in wisdom withdraws from this place. He continues to heal. um, But he's uh, he's understood that there is an ordained time and place for his ministry to really peak. 
and for him to be in a position to make that triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so until that time, he continues to, to heal and to minister to people. But he says, hey, keep, keep it quiet. Keep it quiet here. And, 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 and I can only imagine Matthew as he's experiencing all of this and then later writing it down and remembering what he was thinking. Uh, Matthew often goes back to Isaiah. He reflects on the prophecies of Isaiah. How incredible would that be as, as, you're, as you're beginning to, to, to connect the dots as to who Jesus is. And, and Matthew has to be reflecting on the fact that Jesus withdrew and he told people to be quiet. And he's thinking that's just like what Isaiah said. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, verse 18, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him. He will declare justice to the Gentiles. And so clearly the spirit of God is upon Jesus. And it says in verse 19, he will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. But then he goes on and mentions also verse 20 and 21, which again comes from Isaiah. And it says, a bruised reed he will not break and smoking flax he will not quench till he sends forth justice to victory and in his name Gentiles will trust. I want you to really think about what this is communicating to us here because what we see in the first part of Matthew 12 is not so much again a doctrine on the Sabbath though is it, though that much is true certainly we glean an understanding of Sabbath from these passages we do but more so what we see is Jesus. I want you to listen to this. In a world where we so often fall into doing the things that we're supposed to do we often miss the opportunity just to know Jesus more. And, and what Jesus shows us that he's about is, is, is mercy and grace, that his ways are not burdensome. He invites us into so much more than I think we can ever comprehend. That Jesus, he takes withered hands and he makes them whole. It says here that he takes, uh, that a bruised reed he will not break. Well, well, what was a reed? It was, it, was, uh, it was something that was used for a musical instrument. And, and if it was broken, he would handle it with care. And he would restore it such that it makes music again. It says a smoking flax he will not quench. What this is saying here is that this was essentially a wick and an oil lamp. And the oil was low and so it was just beginning to burn out and to smoke but that Jesus isn't going to quench that. Rather, he'll put more oil there and restore the flame that it will burn bright again. This is what he does for us. As we come to Jesus, as he invites us to come in to say, take my yoke upon you. Come rest. Let me teach you. Let me instruct you. As he deals with the Pharisees here over all their rules and regulations, and, and again, we can fall into those same habits. I have to do this and I have to do this. All the while missing the fact that Jesus says, come to me, rest. Pursue me. He says, I'll, I'll restore you. And what we must realize here is, is like the, the Puritan preacher Richard Sivis once said, is that we must realize there is infinitely more mercy in Jesus than there is sin in us. And so we need to be open and honest with him about these things, these struggles that we have, these feelings sometimes of, Lord, I am, a, I am feeling like I'm withered and lifeless right now. Lord, there's just been, there's been too much religion and routine and not enough relationship. Just come to him with that. Make that known to him. He knows your heart. Take his yoke upon you and allow him to begin to, to restore you and to renew you so that as we come to, and be a part of those things that truly we should, now, yes, we should be in church. We should be about service in church. We should be about the, the work of the church because we are the church. It's not this building, it's us. And so we're called to be a part of this. 
but that we can do so not because of legalism, not because of all the, I, I have to do this or I should do this, but Lord, I get to do this. Thank you, Lord, for reviving my heart. Thank you, Lord, for restoring me. Lord, thank you for giving me a place to be a part of your work. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks here this morning, Lord, once again for who you are, for how you care for us, Lord. We thank you that, that in your word we come to these places, Lord, where you give us instruction just on, on body life, Lord, on, on how we're to be as the, the body of Christ. And, and Lord, uh, that, Lord, you give us instruction on what it means really to, to serve you and to pursue you. And Father, forgive us of those times when we fall short. Forgive us, Lord, of those times when we can really, Lord, begin to just fall back into routine and legalism and religion, Lord, and, and not instead pursuing a, a deeper and more intimate relationship with you. We thank you, Lord, that you're there to forgive us, that you are merciful, Lord, and gracious. And so we come to you today and say, Lord, breathe life into me again. Lord, breathe life into my heart. Lord, as I serve, as I, as I work, because yes, Lord, we, we shouldn't strive to obtain things that, that we, we ought not hope in in this world. But, but yes, we are to work for you. Lord, help us to come to a place where we've taken your yoke upon us, Lord, where we're working with you and because of you, where our work and our efforts and any striving, Lord, that may be in our life is, is, is more an outcome, Lord, of our relationship with you than anything else, Lord. And so, Father, do that work in our hearts here this morning. Lord, as we sing in this last song, may we take the opportunity to just get right before you, Lord, and lay these things at your feet. We thank you, Lord, that you care enough for us to meet us right here in this place. And we ask this all, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.